Good morning, Springbrook. Welcome into the house of the Lord for worship on this beautiful winter morning. If you were up early, you got to see a beautiful sunrise today. I hope some of you guys got to catch it. It was stunning. Although I don't expect you were all up as early as the worship team was getting here to practice this morning. But we are so glad to have you with us. Whether it's your first time here, your first time back in a long time, or you have been coming every week for many, many years, we are just glad to have you with us today. We expect the Lord to do really wonderful and beautiful things in our time together. So thank you for joining us. If you are worshiping with us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available especially for you. They would love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you, pray for you. So I encourage you to use that request prayer button on the right-hand side if you want to go into a one-on-one -on -one chat with one of our hosts. Otherwise, just participate in the chat as you feel led. Our heart for you is that you are connected to this community and what God is doing here no matter where you are or what's going on in your life today. Well, I'd love to invite you now to stand as you are able, in body or in spirit, for our call to worship, which today comes from the book of Hebrews. And this is in chapter 10. It says, Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen? Let's worship him together this morning. Thank you. 
Psalm 66, verses 1 through 4. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that the enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. It's your breath in our 
before the Lord together in prayer. Father, I'm in awe of this picture of all the earth shouting your praise. Every fiber, every atom of creation is shouting for your glory if we only have the ears to hear it. If we only have the eyes to see your splendor as you displayed so beautifully in the sunrise this morning, your glory is everywhere. You are so, so worthy to receive all of the honor and the power and the praise and the glory forever. And so we bring you our best this morning, as best as we know how, we bring you our worship, knowing full well that what we bring to you is broken and imperfect because we are still broken and imperfect people. And yet we get to experience this glorious mystery of our worship made perfect in Jesus. So we pray that you are honored, that you are pleased, that you are delighted this morning in what we bring. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are in this place, that we don't have to beg you to show up. We don't have to clean up our act first. You're already present. You're already at work. Nothing I do, nothing anyone on this platform does brings your presence here. You are already here. And so I pray for those who feel far from you this morning. I pray for those who walked in discouraged, maybe doubting, maybe grieving, maybe just feeling a little bit like you've walked away from them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that there would be a sense of your presence and your comfort on each one. No one's here by accident. You knew before, you said, let there be light. Exactly who would be in this room right now, today, in time, worshiping you. And so I thank you that you are intentional, you are purposeful, God. So I ask, Holy Spirit, for eyes that are open to see you as you move today, ears that are wide open to hear your voice. Let us hear your voice so clearly. And will you open our hearts in a way that only you can make us tender and receptive to your word, what you have for us, this transforming work you have to do in us and through us today. God, we offer you our attention, our affection, everything we have, we lay down before you and give it to you in Jesus' name for your glory. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Amen. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Springbrook. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. I hope you are enjoying the good weather. I, I don't know if I think it's good, because it should be snowy, and so now I'm worried about when the snow comes. We don't know, but I hope you are enjoying whatever you do with weather like this, where you're not quite sure what it's going to be each day. While you're sitting there, um, and for you at home, uh, we'd encourage you to fill out your connection card. Um, let us know you've been here, and more importantly, let us know your prayer requests. Um, this is one of the best ways we can be praying for you. You can also let your small groups know, but um, if you fill this out, we make sure to pray for you each week, um, and so please let us know how we can be praying for you. Um, for everyone, next week from 12.30 to 2 is our annual meeting celebration. Um, it's, it's coming um, for, for that event, you can find out information at springbrook.org slash celebrate. Um, oh, it's not next week, it's in two weeks. 
so don't listen to me about that. I just misread. Next week is my wife's birthday. I almost just skipped it. But um, So two weeks from today is when the annual meeting is. And, and what you need to know about that, um, if you're a member or if you're not a member, but especially for members, out there we have our annual meeting report where we have all the information about our upcoming budget. We have information about just kind of a review where we can celebrate what's been happening this year throughout our church. Um, and so we would encourage you to pick one of those up today. There's probably a way to get them online at springbrook.org celebrate that I should have looked at before I came up here. But the point is make sure you look at that. Make, um, there are, there's information about budget meetings in case you have questions or concerns or anything um, that'll be coming up in the next two weeks. You can find out more information about when those are. Um, otherwise, please come to our meeting. And if you're not a member, you can still come to that meeting. You just can't vote at it. Um, and I wanna say that because one of the cool things at these meetings is we get a chance to hear how God has been faithful over the last year in our finances and in our ministry. Um, it's an awesome opportunity for us as a church to celebrate. At this time, I'm gonna, in Invite out Darren Joslin. Oh, he's there. Okay. Um, we've got our No Regrets Men's Conference coming up on February 4th, and Darren's in charge of it. And so right now, Darren's going to tell us a little more about it. Darren, what are you excited about for No Regrets? Well, you know, God calls us to um, work and help each other as men uh, to be stronger in the word, to help lead our families spiritually. Um, you know, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. And what I get really jazzed about at these conferences is it's a group of men praising God, learning about his word, and learning more what it means to be an authentic man. Mm, awesome. Awesome. I like that, too. Um, what, what would you tell a man out here who is not sure, or a man online who is not sure about signing up for this event? Uh, don't hesitate. You know, the whole point of the conference is no regrets, right? Don't have a regret for missing this event. They have some great speakers that are world-renowned. They're leaders, um, you know, in the Christian faith. So much to learn. And, you know, when we're all together arm in arm, it's going to be something you're not going to regret. Amen. Well, I, I also want to say, if you haven't signed up, you have a week to sign up to get a shirt before the shirts are gone, because we got to get the order in. So sign up by January 22nd if you want a stylish shirt. Um, at this point, we have a video from No Regrets that we're going to play, and then we'll jump into the sermon. So thank you, Darren. It's quiet in here now, just like it was 30 years ago when this all got started, when a few of us wanted to pursue a vision to launch a gathering for men a place where they could be encouraged in their faith, develop new relationships, worship God, and be equipped to be fearless influencers of society. Little did we know what God was going to do with that little band of brothers. On Saturday, February 4th, 2023, we will be celebrating the 30th anniversary of the No Regrets Men's Conference right here with 3,000 men and hundreds of host sites around the country and world. Sean Keith and the No Regrets Worship Band will provide heart-pounding, God-focused worship. Our team of speakers includes men like Chris Brown, Albert Tate, Steve Carter, Mark Batterson, and others. They will open God's Word to encourage us, challenge us, 
and equip us to pursue God and the life he has for us. So guys, listen, no matter where you are in your spiritual journey, I want to encourage you to join us live or virtually at one of our host sites. To learn more about the conference or to sign up, go to noregretsconference.org. And guys, I look forward to seeing you on February 4th. Please, men, make sure you sign up for that. It's going to be an awesome opportunity for us to connect and grow together. Um, it's so hard to say everything. One of the things that we didn't mention, we're doing it simulcast at our church, and then there's going to be sections where some of our leaders at our church are going to be leading different portions of breakouts, and then we'll have a chance to sit and eat and just decompress and reflect on the day together. So please make sure to sign up today. Now that I'm done with that, and I'm excited about No Regrets, but I want to tell you I'm excited about No Regrets, but today I'm not sure how excited I am about preaching. Um, today's a weird day for me. Um, I was around a cat a couple of days ago, and I'm allergic to cats, and I've just been like very much, like my eyes feel very heavy, and my heart feels heavy today, because today is the last day that Manny's and Huntley will be open. So, and they're basically out of gelato already. Hopefully they get more before I stop by later today, but it's a sad day, and it's a day that reminds me of the, the in, impermanence, the, the lack of eternity of this life. And that's a silly thing to talk about, but it's a true thing. And, and you know, Manny's is a place I used to always go and work from and used to have a lot of fun sitting in there drinking my coffee and and then COVID happened, and then I started just drinking my coffee here, and then all of a sudden, a couple weeks ago, I woke up one morning and found out they were closing. And the very first thought that went through my head is, I haven't drank enough coffee there yet. So I've been drinking coffee all week, um, and it's been wonderful. But, but it was a funny moment for me, and it was a very personal moment. It made me very sad. And it may not make you sad at all. You may be like, I don't like gelato. I have a dairy intolerance and you're making me think about it. You, I don't know what you're thinking in this moment, but, but one of the things that is just on my heart today is, and this is a weird segue into this, but Psalm 119 is what, we're, we're in Psalm 119 and it is one of the most personal conversations with God that we see in the Bible. In the Old Testament, I think it's our perfect picture of a conversation with God to wrestle with, um, but it's something that is individual, unlike any, very, uh, very little in the Bible is as individual as Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a psalm that has 176 verses, um, and it's set up in these eight verse increments. And each set of verses is done, it's an acrostic where the first eight verses are the Hebrew letter A, the next eight verses are the Hebrew letter B. It, um, I'm not even going to do the Hebrew letters. I at one point had them all memorized so I could pass a class in seminary and then immediately forgot them. Um, but the Hebrew alphabet has 22 letters and each letter is represented. And in that whole conversation of Psalm 119, you have this picture of somebody saying, God, I am... God, you are. You are this, therefore I respond this way. God, I struggle with this, but I know you are this. God, your word says this, I try to follow. God, your word says this, and you show this to be true. God, I am. God, you are. 
back and forth. It is an I-you conversation between the author and God. And when we try and jump into it, we have to look at Psalm 119 on a very individual level. And so today, for me, what's in the back of my head is that a gelato shop is closing. And I'm thinking about all the the good things that I did there, and God, I'm really sad about that today. And God, I'm glad that you'll never close. That's cheesy, but it's a very simple way of thinking about the the challenges of the I-U conversation with God. And, And the beauty of Psalm 119 is that the more we meditate on it, the more we're going to start to ask questions that at the heart of those questions come a couple simple themes, the biggest theme being the word of God and how God is a, the word of God points to a perfect picture of who God is. And it's also going to point out what we should strive for and what we on our own cannot be. And so we're, we're going to jump in to Psalm 119. We're going to be in verses 113 to 120. Um, it's the 15th day of the reading. Um, if you've been following along the reading, it's the 15th unit. It's the Hebrew letter Samek, which if you know what that letter is, good job. Um, I kind of do. I think it goes but I'm also not sure, and I should have looked that up before I got on stage. I, no, I do know it's that. But there's another s, and there's a sh. And so Hebrew is a confusing language. Um, but, but the reason I'm taking the time on the front end to talk about this is so you have time to open your Bibles to Psalm 119. But I also want to tell you as we jump in that one of the hardest things for me as I've been reflecting and, and wrestling with this passage is I feel good about what I need to communicate for myself. It's an IU conversation between me and God that I've been wrestling with all week. And my hope and prayer is that out of today, you will leave here today and go have an IU conversation with the Lord. We, we just sang a song where we said, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise to you only. And I was singing that, and in my head I was thinking, is God the only one I really pour my praise out to? God, do I praise anything else? And you may say, well, this is the only time I sing during the week, but that idea of praise and that idea of worshiping God is an idea of do I live wholeheartedly for him, and that's going to play into what we read today. So I'm going to read our passage, and then after that we're going to jump in and we're going to start to look at this, these eight verses and how I can apply them in my life, and then hopefully you'll take from that some ideas that you can start to say, God, I'm this, you are this, let's talk. Psalm 119, verses 113 through 120. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise that I may live, and let let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up that I may be safe. And have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. God, you are all-powerful, all-knowing. You are everywhere. 
you are just, you are gracious, you are merciful, you are loving, you are perfect, you are unchanging. God, you are holy, and in your holiness, you send out your wrath against evil and sin that it would not last eternally and not be in your presence, and that is such a good thing. God, you are greater than anything I could ask or imagine, greater than anything that we could ask or imagine. And you, in your perfection, created us in your image. As we dig into this passage today, as I try and tell people what you and I have been talking about all week, I pray that for each of us we would realize the picture of a double mind, of a divided soul, of a divided person, and we would recognize where we live far from you, and that we would take the actions that the author of Psalm 119 says to take, that we would not go astray, that we would not think ourselves cunning, that we would not be like dross that gets discarded. But we pray we would be those who love you, who place our hope in you, who recognize you are the only thing worth fearing and recognize that it is your judgment that is ultimate. We pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear the message that you have for us today. I pray for myself that the conversation we've been having all week would not falter, that I would not say, all right, I finished this sermon and now I can go back to being divided, but that the work you've been doing in me would be true and it would be something that would continue. It would not be my cunning, but it would be you working in me. I pray that for each and every one of us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So probably the biggest... Oh, I've been clicking this whole time I was praying. Have I? Okay, there we go. Sorry, everybody. Probably the hardest thing about Psalm 119 as we jump in is that each eight verses, um, each unit, there's 22 units, and each unit is so stinking repetitive on the surface. They all mention your word, your law, your commandments, your promises, your statutes, your testimonies, your judgments. They mention your rule. They, they mention these eight or nine different things that all kind of on the surface we say, well, well this is like the word of God. It's the Bible. It's God speaking to us. It's the way God reveals himself to us. It's who God is. And, and all of the, they show up in each unit. And so you can read a unit and then read the next unit and then start to think these all sound the same. Um, one of the things in preparing for this week, I, I read through and there were points where I was like, I feel like I just read this. And then I looked up and went, okay, it said pretty much the same thing. And, and it gets very repetitive. But in that repetition, is a picture of wrestling that needs to be done because each unit has a different theme and, and we need to look at those themes individually. For this passage, it begins, I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. And, and the question we're going to start from today is what should we do when we feel divided in our love for the Lord? Because the psalmist says, I hate the double-minded. I hate those who are divided. And in fact, that, that word double-minded is not a great word because when we hear that word, I think we think of it very differently than what an ancient Jewish person would have thought of. The, it literally means the divided. 
And, and that sounds weird, and without any context, that sounds really weird, but we're gonna go with it. I hate the divided, but then we're gonna shift it one more time. No, 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 okay. Sorry, I'm clicking bad. All right, the divided I hate. Psalm 119 verse 13 begins with the word, the divided. It's the only time this word shows up in Hebrew, and it starts with semek, the, the Hebrew S. Um, and so the word, the divided, is our entry point to this unit. And when we read the word, the divided, the immediate thing that we have to wrestle with if we were an ancient Jew is, why is he using this word? What is this word? This word is not a word in our common language. This is not a word that the Jews ever said, but it's kind of based on a root word of like the picture of in a mountain, a, a cleft in the mountain where there's a divide or a ravine or something that's torn apart. And this word begins a unit that in English, when we read it and read double-minded, we think wishy-washy. When we re read double-minded, we think, I know I want to do the right thing, but I maybe don't do it. But in Hebrew, there's a way different picture behind this. And to understand that, we have to go to Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Um, Deuteronomy is one of the first five books of the Bible. In Deuteronomy, Moses is kind of laying out a picture for the Hebrew people right before they enter the promised land of their story and the commands of God and what it would look like to live them out well. And Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5 is the beginning of one of these units, and it's a very famous phrase or, or sentence or, or verse that an ancient Hebrew, a child would have known this. A family, if they were faithful to following the Lord, would have said this all the time. They were supposed to say this every morning and every evening. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. God is unified in who he is, and we shall love him with all of who we are. I hope this makes sense. The divided are those who allow their love to be less than whole. They're those who say, well, I love God with my mind, but not always with my actions. I love God with my thoughts, but not always with my words. Or it's some, some mix of that where we are not giving God our all and then pretending like it's okay. The divided, especially in light of Psalm 119, would be those who think, and we're going to look at this later, those who think in their cunningness that they can have a right relationship with God by saying the right things every once in a while, by returning and saying, God, I'm sorry. Are we cool? God, are we cool? Um, and that's not a part of this psalm. This psalm is going to tell us, no, we can't do that. We have to hate the divided. And, and that word may be harsh, and you may think, so, so you hate people who aren't Christian in our modern sense, but this is a conversation between the psalmist and God, and it's a conversation not about the actions of other, but for the psalmist, the, the author, to say, I hate when I'm divided. I hate when things cause me to be divided. I think that's what's happening here, is they are saying, this person is saying, I hate, Lord, when I don't love you with my whole heart, soul, and mind. I pretend like I do, but I don't, and I hate that because I know I'm supposed to, and I know I should love, uh, but your law 
I love. The Hebrew shifts things around here in a way where your law is stressed over I love. It's your law. I don't want to be divided. I want to love your law. My hiding place and my shield you are. There's Yoda speak going on here, but the author is drawing attention to what he hopes for. I I don't want to be divided. I want to hide in you. I, I don't want to be divided. I want to see my protection from you. I want to love your law and place my hope in your word. The author is trying to say in these three lines, this is what I should be, and this is what I hate. Often, if I'm honest, I'm this. I'm divided. My loyalty to the Lord is less than it should be, but this is who I should be, and this is who I strive to be. I'm going to put my hope in your word. I'm going to love your law. When I'm truly honest with what your word says, I'm going to realize that you are the only adequate hiding place and shield. You are the only one who can protect me in this world. And so we have this imagery of dividedness, and we have this hope that the person is going to move away from being divided, and that's what we have to wrestle with as we begin. And then we jump into our kind of middle. There's three commands here that in English are depart, uphold, and hold me up, and we'll look at those a little bit more. But the very first commandment represents a very odd moment in Psalm 119. I've mentioned a few times now that Psalm 119 is a conversation of God I am, God you are. You are this God, and it makes me think this. I respond this way. I know I'm supposed to see you as my shield and my strength. I'm supposed to place my hope in you. I am this, Lord. You are this. I struggle with this. Teach me to follow you well. Help me to see your... The whole psalm is I, you, I, you, I, you. And then all of a sudden, in verse 115, so verse 115, we've had... Uh, or 228 lines of scripture before this, 114 verses, and abruptly it says, depart from me, you evildoers. There's someone else in the conversation now. Do you see? Depart from me, you evildoers. Not God. It's not God. Depart the evildoers from me. I want to tell you all something. This is very nerdy. I spent more time than I care to admit trying to figure out if this was a translation issue in English, because this is the only point in Psalm 119 where the author, 176 verses, and only once does something get said to someone besides God or the author. It's IU, IU, and then this one random, depart from me, you evildoers. And it's a blip. It's a break in the pattern. It's something that when we read, we have to account for. And maybe you're sitting there saying, I don't think this is that big of a deal, but it is a huge deal because the author so far, every conversation has been this wrestling. And now abruptly, the author talks to someone else. And the author says, depart from me, you evildoers. Turn away. Get away from me, you evildoers that I may keep the commandments of my God. The author goes on, uphold or sustain me. I think sustain is a better translation because when I read uphold, I have no idea how to explain that except to change the word. Sustain me according to your promise. And and this is probably a more faithful Hebrew word. Uh, Sustain me according to your promise that I may live and let me not be put to shame in my hope in the previous 
line in, in verse 114, it says, I hope in your word. Let me not be put to shame in that hope. Let me follow after your promises. Let me trust you. And finally, hold me up or support me, strengthen me. Help me to follow after you well, that I may be safe that, and have regard for your statutes continually. There's three things done here. There, there's two verses at the front, and then there's three. These are all commands or petitions. And the author begins not with a command or petition, a petition being, God, help me with this. God, do this. Or God, will you do this? The first one is to an outside source before two to God. And I've been wrestling with this all week because it, it should be, Lord, get the evildoers away from me. That's what it should be in my mind because of the pattern of all of Psalm 119. But remember, the divided I hate. And if I don't get rid of the influences from my life that are going to pull me away and keep me from following the commands of my God, then how on earth can I ask him to sustain me? I, um, I, I love the word sustain here um, because I immediately think of music and like when you sustain a note, um, like I, I'm not going to sing because it'll be really bad. Um, I have... Yeah, um, but so like, you know, when a long note goes and it's sustained, when, when, he, when he asks to be sustained, to be that I may live, that I may have life, that my hope may not be put to shame, the imagery I get is this perfect image of God holding the person up, but that doesn't work if the person hasn't said, get away from me, you influences. I think of music, I think of noise where there's this clear picture of God taking care of, and, and you've got to get rid of all this noise so they're not in dissonance, so they're not clashing. So it's not like if you've ever been to a coffee shop, the worst thing in the coffee shop or restaurant or anywhere in public at all is when the person next to you is watching a video and there's music playing overhead, and the person's watching a video with music and you're hearing two different songs. You, do you know what I'm talking about? Um, that's, that's, if you don't get rid of the evildoers, that's what you're doing here. Um, and, and that's the worst, and it's even worse when the person's not bothered by it. And you're looking at them like, oh, what are you doing? Um, I won't throw shade at my wife, but sometimes when we're watching things, she'll be scrolling on the internet, and she'll just play a video with sound while we're watching something. I'm like, what are you doing? It's ruining both. Um, but, but the point here is we need to get rid of those things that are going to influence us, that are, that are going to keep us from following the commands of our God before we turn to God. God, according to his promise, will sustain us, but not if we're leaving these influences here. And if he is sustaining us, we know that we're, we're not going to do this perfectly, but we can ask him and he can help us. And in, in the Old Testament, the, the prayer was a prayer that, that God would provide a way to deliver and a way to hope. Now in the New Testament, through the work of Christ, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we know that God can sustain us, will sustain us, and will support us and strengthen us that we could have regard, that we could follow his word on a daily basis if we would only get rid of this. And if I truly hate the divided, if the divided I hate, and I move those influences away, I'm going to move towards this. I love that each of these is that I may keep, that I may live, that I may be safe, that I may have regard. Um, I, I, I look at this as a, he recognizes, I need to do this first. 
Because without this, I'm not going to be able to do this at all. There's an if-then to all of this where he recognizes it starts here, goes here, and goes here. Um, I, I want to tell you, as you think about this, I don't know where you're divided. I don't know the things in your life that pull you away from following the Lord with your whole heart, that pull you away from a true love for his word. I, I mean, I can guess, um, but I can tell you where in my life it happens, and I'll get there. But there's a really simple thing in this passage, and that is that we're to remove what influences us towards wickedness. For me, the things that move me towards wickedness the most, one of them is social media. And I, somebody laughed, thank you. But um, no, it is. And, and what happens when I, and if you don't know this, you should know this. Um, social media is designed to make us depressed and to make us keep clicking. Parents, your children do not have the skills to not fall for the pattern over and over. And so social media is making children depressed and there are lawsuits about it. Parents, don't be fools and think yourselves undivided. People, don't be fools and think yourselves undivided. The same thing they're doing to children, they're doing to adults, and it's not them doing it. They're building an algorithm that trains based on what we do and keeps us using the platform over and over. It's why when you go on something like Facebook and you click a random thing, you start to see everything tied to that thing in all of your ads and in everything that you do. And if you watch a random video, all of a sudden the next 10 videos that pop up randomly are all going to be themed after that. We use these devices that draw us in, and then we pretend like, well, I'm not addicted to it, or I don't do it that much, and, and we are, and we do it, and we have to break these patterns, and it's comical that we don't, and we think that, oh, it's not affecting me, but it is, because we're divided. In my life, there are many other things. There are things that I like watching on television that at times I have to go, why am I watching this? Of what value is this to me? Um, there are times where I get so busy with so many things that I have to start to think about, am I doing these things because they're valuable, or am I doing these things because I think if I do these things, people will think of me a certain way? I, I don't know what influences you towards wickedness, what leaves you divided, but I do know that step one is you have to take steps to remove it. You have to... the, the Biblical pictures, you have to repent of it. And repenting, especially in the Old Testament, it's the same in the New Testament. But the picture of repentance is not, I'm not going to do it again. It's a turning away completely. That is so important. You need to remove what influences you. You need to turn away completely from it. One of the things that I think makes me struggle with this, and I think for all humans makes us struggle with this, is that we have an incomplete picture of the characteristics of God. Um, something that we do, and I do, is I fall on the grace of God and the love of God without thinking about the justice and the wrath of God and the perfect perfection of God, his unchanging nature, his holiness. I, I pretend like I can just focus on his grace. And, and God is gracious. God is loving. God is merciful. He is wonderful in every way. But inside of that, God is holy and God is perfect and God hates sin. And if I keep saying, God, I'm so sorry, but then going back to the same pattern, God, I'm so sorry, but going back to the same pattern, I am revealing myself over and over and over to be divided, to be distorted, to be pretending that I love him when really my actions show something far different. 
after we do that, we need to recognize that the Lord is the source of life. And this is, um, it sounds vague, but in whatever you're removing, what you're saying is this is not life-giving compared to the Lord. This is the opposite of what I am to be. I am, if the Lord is the source of life, I was made in his image. I was made to rule the earth on his behalf. As Genesis 1 tells us, if, if I was made by a creator with a specific vision and a specific way of life, then I'm going to follow him. And I'm going to recognize that these things that have divided me need to go away. So I need to recognize that this is not life-giving. The Lord is. And then I need to call on the Lord for strength to keep following him, to not move back to needing to do this, but to move forward again and again. And the author, it's a very simple thing, but the way the author brings it up, I think is just brilliant because the, the starting point of all of it is thinking about the things you need to remove before you go to the Lord. In an IU conversation, back and forth, there's a point where the guy goes, like, if I, this is the image in my head, he's like on the telephone, and he's like, hold on, stop talking to me. Okay, let's keep going. Does, does that make sense? I hope it does. Because that's the image that I get when I get here, and then turning back to the Lord and following him in faithfulness. And so we have this picture of turning away that which is evil and is moving us the wrong way, looking to the Lord, recognizing him as the source of life, asking him to sustain us, asking him to support us, to strengthen us, that we could follow him the way we're supposed to if we were truly undivided. The next verses give us what I think is a great picture of why this is so challenging and, and what we need to be thinking about if we truly want to live undivided. The best thing I can say about myself in a negative way, but in a truthful way, is that I'm really good at justifying my own sin. I'm really good at going astray from God's statutes, but then feeling really cunning about it. And being like, well, God, you know, like, I, I, that probably wasn't great, but I work at a church. God, that, that wasn't what I should do. I'm, I'm struggling there, but God, let me point out all the things I'm doing well. At Christmas, our daughter Lucy, she has a puppy here named Daisy. At Christmas, our daughter Lucy told us she wanted to get Levi a puppy. The reason she wanted to get Levi a puppy is because Levi always was taking Daisy puppy. My wife... And Lucy kept talking, and at some point, they started talking about, Lucy said, I want to get Levi the same exact puppy. And I was like, why? They're just going to fight over the new one. That was my thought. Lucy kept saying, no, Daddy, I want him to have this puppy. And I, in my wisdom, said, well, that three-year-old, that's showing real maturity. Levi got his puppy. His puppy's name is Diddy. Um, so we've got Daisy and we've got Diddy. And once Diddy entered the picture, poor Daisy became a non-existent puppy because Lucy began to focus on Diddy and began to say, I want that puppy. And it got to the point where now Lucy plays with Levi's puppy all day, but at night, if I'm home, I make her give Levi back his puppy when they go to bed, and Lucy has said, oh, he's just for Levi to sleep with. He's mine otherwise. And I laugh at it because we've had like 20 conversations where I'm like, Lucy, that is not your dog. You gave that to Levi. It was a gift. And I, I have these loving conversations with her. And then she immediately does the same thing. And she's so cunning 
that as I'm lecturing her and saying, Lucy, you got that for Levi, that's his, she tries to lean in and kiss me and go, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Daddy. And it's so frustrating. It doesn't really work, but it does kind of tug at my heart a little bit. But I'm like, no, let me tell you, our cunning Our cunning with God about sin is no better than a three-year-old trying to manipulate about a puppy. I mean this. Like I there there is nothing in your life where you present something to God where you're you're kind of going astray or you're not removing the things you need to, where God up in heaven is like, well, that's a new argument. I'll consider that. God is all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's all-wise. He he knows perfectly how to respond to each and every situation. He is not up in heaven saying, well, I've never heard that argument before. That's a good one. Our cunning is in vain. This passage to the evildoer is their cunning is in vain, but it's to me if I live divided and pretend like I don't. If I try and pretend like, well, I'm doing enough. If I say, God, I'm going to fall on your grace, but I never live in obedience. If I say, God, your love but I never noticed the commands he has for me that he's called me to follow. If, if the way that I follow him is so cheap, then my cunning is in vain. And the promise is all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. The, all the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, that um, dross is the front word there in Hebrew. It doesn't really matter, but I, I, the word dross is, um, if you don't know, like a silversmith would have a, a big chunk of silver, a chunk of silver that they would mine, and they would melt it down. And when they melted it down, the dross and the silver would separate. And they would toss out all of the dross and keep the silver to make something pure. And when I, when I think about this imagery, something that I think of with Christians is we think, well, I've got a good amount of silver and a good amount of dross, and eventually God will get rid of that, for their cunning is in vain. In my life, if I think, well, most of what I do is good, good silver, but there's these couple things that it's dross, but the good news is God is going to get rid of it. My cunning is in vain. If I try and live divided, I am distorting what God has created me to be. And I need to live inside that truth. I need to follow after God's statutes. I need to love his testimonies. And finally, this last line, my flesh trembles for fear of you. And I am afraid of your judgments. We, in our modern English, when we read fear and afraid and judgment, we read these things in a very negative tone. But the Bible, and what's funny is if you read the New Testament closely, Jesus is called a judge much, much more than he is called a savior. Because he is a judge. He is to be feared. He is to be revered above all. But why this is so important is because if we are undivided in who we are, then the only person we are going to fear or regard or or put our focus on, the only one that we are going to trust could actually judge us, who could actually take our life, who could actually leave us where we don't want to be, is the Lord. And, and this line, when you work backwards through this psalm about being divided, this line reveals that when we're divided, it's because we are fearing something other than the Lord. It's when we start to fear the things of this earth 
and we start to fear things, and, and it's our reputation. It's, we, we fear how people will view us. We, we fear how we will handle things. We'll fear of failure, all of these different things. But the, the point is, when we start to fear anything but the Lord, we become very divided. Something I know about myself, and I hate about myself, and I, I, I know I'm divided in this, um, is that I have seasons where I definitely fear man more than God. Um, I hate reading the stories of Saul in 1 Samuel because of how much they resonate in my heart. And I, like, I, I just, ugh. Um, but, but then I read them and I think, I don't want to be like that. But when I'm not careful and when I'm not turning to the Lord, what happens is I'll have a good season where I feel good about my relationship with the Lord. I'm like, things are going well. I'm feeling blessed. God must be in it. And I start doing everything and really I'm divided, but I don't realize it. And the only time I realize I'm divided is all of a sudden a speed bump hits the road. And all of a sudden, instead of turning to the Lord and instead of saying, God, you are this, I am this, what gives? I start thinking, oh my gosh, what does that person think of me? Oh my gosh, what does that mean for me? What, what do I need to do in response? And, and I'll go like days where my prayers become like, all right, God, bless this meal. All right, God, help the kids go to bed. All right, God, help me get through the day. Rather than really turning and saying, God, you are this. God, I am this. And that's when I realize I'm divided, but I, I have these patterns and I try and do better and better at them. One of the best things about being married is I have a wife who, if she notices that I'm in one of these kind of cycles, she'll be like, we should pray. We should just pause and we should pray. And a lot of times in that prayer, I'll be like, okay, we need to pray. And then after we pray, when I kind of calm down, I'll start thinking, well, God, you are this. And I am this, but right now I think I'm this. And I'm being incredibly vague again and again, because again, for me, this happens one way. For you, this is going to happen a different way. But I'm going to read the psalm again, and I'm going to ask just one last series of quick questions. But Psalm 119 says, The divided I hate, but your law I love. My hiding place and my shield you are. In your word I hope. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to your promise, that I may live. And let me not be put to shame in my hope. Support me, that I may be safe and may have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. Like dross, you discard the, all the wicked of the earth. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. As hopefully you leave today and you meditate on this, and hopefully you're asking yourself, where am I divided? Hopefully you're, you're asking yourself, and thinking about what do you need to cut off? Will you cut off that which divides you and, tur and turn to the Lord for your hope? Will you cut off that which divides you and turn to the Lord for your life? Will you cut off that which divides you and turn to the Lord for your strength? Will you cut off that which divides you and turn to the Lord for your security? There's a blank here because again, I don't know what you're struggling with. I, I don't know exactly what you're going through, but I can tell you the starting point when you're divided is to remove, to cut off that which influences you towards wickedness, to turn to the Lord, to recognize that the Lord is the source of life, and then to call on the Lord for strength to follow him in righteousness. I don't want to live divided because I know that's not what God created me for. He didn't create me to constantly be at war with myself. He created me to love him 
with my whole heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to follow him faithfully. He created you for the same thing, to not live divided, but to live following after him in truth. Let's pray. Lord, you are good. Your word is perfect. Your commandments are just. You are righteous. You are true. Lord, you are faithful. Your promises endure. You are all of these things, and I am just a man who is divided in my loyalty to you so often. I profess my love for you, and then I struggle. And I thank you that in your promises, you say, if I repent and turn away from those things and turn back to you, you are there. I I thank you that you are a God who is merciful. And I pray, Lord, for myself, that as I finish this message, that, that what you have been doing in my heart this week would be something that I don't just fall away from, that I don't just do half-heartedly, that again, this wasn't just to perform, but that it's a work you're doing in me that sustains. I pray that you would give me the strength to sustain it. I pray for everyone here. Um, it's, a, it's a challenging thing to have to start thinking individually about, well, where am I divided? But I, I pray for the people here, that you would help them to see where they are divided, where they are not following you in truth, where each and every one of us struggles to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. I pray for each of us that we would follow you in truth. I pray for those that are listening to this that aren't sure they've ever followed you, that that they would come talk to me or Rich or one of our pastors or elders after this, that we could point them to your truth. And I, I pray, Lord, that we would be a community of people that live wholly for you, that individually we wouldn't be divided, but as a community, we would be faithful as well. We would be known for our love for your word and for putting our hope in it, for our fear of you and you alone, and for our trust in your promises. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we'd love to invite you to stand one more time in body or spirit. Let's respond together in song to the word we've received this morning. Thank you. 
want to thank you so much for joining us to worship the Lord together this morning. I pray now that you will go in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in his name, and we will see you next Sunday.